I gave you 400 hit points. Yeah. So um, you're no slouch. I'll give you legendary actions, too. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That makes sense why Nathan always interrupts. It's the legendary actions. That's right. Between each between each person's turn, <laughs> Nate, Nate jumps in. Nathan jumps in and he sells you a game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you tried Marvel Champions? Marvel Champions is really good. No, there was a new one last night. We ran into each other at not at his game store. And of course, <laughs> the first thing that Bay says is the Rona, as we you know. Because we he gave me a, he opened his arms like I didn't give you me. a French kiss. I gave you a hug. Just the hug. Masks. There's a difference. And we had masks, but we broke social distancing to hug because we God, saw each other. You are randomly. such a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Should I have saying like Panama as I gave you a hug? What the hell? I was calling a lady called Rona behind you. Well, if half the if half the podcast goes down now with COVID, we know why. Okay, hold on a second. If it was such a big deal, how come you grabbed my ass? Okay, well, Rona, it's been proven the ass the doesn't Rona. transmit it. Shit. <laughs> and I rest my case. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So they said, the great old ones who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world out in the sea. Hey, hold on a second. Vase, you didn't mention the most important thing about our meeting. So, everybody sit your butts down for a minute. This is funny. So I had a customer come into the store... And a newer customer who just started Arkham and loves it and listens to our podcast. So he's amazing. And he goes, you know, for the longest time, I didn't know who the hell you guys were talking about when you kept mentioning Manfred Lang. And he's like, what kind of name is Manfred? And why is his last name Lang? So I just like kept listening to the show. And eventually I somehow figured out that you were talking about man from Lang. (laughs) Oh, That's man. pretty incredible. <laughs> I love Manfred Lang. <laughs> it's going to be the new name. I'm sorry, Manfred. It Lang. could be an upcoming like NPC in a story arc. There'll be some dude named Manfred Lang who shoots blowgun darts at you. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Anything's possible. Well, unfortunately, we've already gone through the Dreamlands, and we didn't get a a man from Lang. It's very disappointing. Do you you think Manfred Lang could be like a a Dreamlands cover band version of Manfred Mann? (laughs) And now, rocking it out. Old school. Manfred Lang. Maybe Manfred Manfred Lang could be like an ally who shows up now. Yeah, you're welcome there, MJ. We we softballed that one to you for free. You're welcome. (laughs) Hey, I would play Leo Anderson and use Manfred Lang anytime. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't don't read into that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, welcome to uh, episode 20, you guys. Boom. It's been a a hell of a year. I know, uh... We came, well, I came woefully unprepared due to all of the recent weather bullshit that has been happening in my side of the world. Don't uh, act like you lost power and you were buried in snow, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's literally exactly what happened. Oh, dude, it was so bad. So I got home from work 
uh, Thursday afternoon after it finally stopped snowing and the plow comes by and where I live is like the top of the hill in town and the plow just like shoves all the snow in the end of my driveway and it was like almost literally like up to my neck for like a solid like six feet into my driveway. So that was fun. So after shoveling for eight hours, I had to shovel for another two and a half hours just to get my car back into my driveway. Now you have to. Now you have a story to tell your grandkids. Back in my day. Back in my day, <laughs> it used to snow three feet, and we'd have to walk fifteen miles both ways uphill. <laughs> Although, to be fair, I think that um, I don't know that you'll ever be that old, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was thinking about that the other day. I think the more that people mention how young I look, I think, like, through some sort of strange osmosis process, I'm, like, virtually getting younger and younger. Just like every time someone mentions it. Mm -hmm. It's like um, (laughs) Jeff Probst from Survivor, like the internet meme that, like, he just... He stays looking young by just drinking the tears of the falling contestants (laughs) from the show. (laughs) Tears, nothing. That's pure blood right there. Exactly. Well, just just wait till you get to my age. And I was driving. Where were we? We were at the mall or something like that with my son. And he's like, "Hey, Dad, you look like that guy." And I'm the guy was like eighty. Literally. Wow. He was wearing sort of the same colored. I think he meant like, "Hey, you're wearing the same colored pants as that guy." But the guy like was like sort of had a cane and was like basically like just moseying down the street i'm like great that's just great <laughs> well to kids all all people over like 40 are old people <laughs> true that's really funny <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god so he's not getting any christmas presents <laughs> nice <laughs> all right well uh i mean let's get into brass tacks here guys serious conversations only um what you uh, what you guys been up to? I have been busy. Uh, well, I FFG seems to be pumping out a bunch of uh, a bunch of news every every week. It seems so. We had, uh, I think, this month we've had the it was the announcement of a light in the fog, and then we had the Agnes Baker parallel investigator, and then I think it was Friday they released. Lair of Dagon preview, and uh, I had somebody requesting that I finish off my Dream Eaters, so I posted uh, a couple playthroughs just last night, and more to come. But uh, yeah, I've uh, been playing a little bit more, which is which is always nice. I find that I get so busy creating content sometimes that I forget to actually play the game. So it's nice to be able to sit down and actually play with the cards. And uh, so I was enjoying that. Hopefully I'll be able to catch up with my playthroughs by the end of the year. But uh, the other the other problem is is that because of, due to COVID and, uh, and the holidays, I think the, the one-two punch, the, uh, the shipping of my Mythos packs has just, slowed to a crawl so um i think i had just received my um typically if i order a pack on a friday i have it by the following wednesday and uh 
my devil reef is still um i ordered it like two weeks ago and it's still still stuck in transit somewhere so that's a little frustrating when you're trying to create content and you don't have the actual content delivered to you in a reasonable amount of time yeah yeah i get that i had the same issue i heard a lot of people had similar issues with devil reef i i would assume it's just time of the year it's a combination of that and the rona i mean it's Mm. international shipping is crazy though like my wife ordered some stuff from mexico which is right over the border, but it took like two months to arrive. So go figure. Yeah. But you wouldn't have that problem if you ordered from Guardian Games. No. No. Definitely not. Because they are prompt and excellent. I am still head shaking. <laughs> um, I actually took up football recently. Punt to base. Oh, okay. All right. I, I thought he was like half serious for a second there. <laughs> Me too. I'm like, really? Football? Just doesn't seem like him. <laughs> but uh I've been uh I've been busy too. You know, this time of year is always busy for Nathan and I. Uh so that's already hard. And then I haven't had a chance to catch up on on Arkham, not because of lack of product. Uh, unsurprisingly, but just fallen behind. And I've I've been going through a burnout period. We've all talked about burnout here and there. So I stepped aside on, on making too much content for Arkham and have been doing a lot of D&D content on my channel. I, I am going to still do Arkham content, but it's I just kind of need to step away from it for a little bit, take a break, so I can come back refreshed from it. Uh but mostly just uh, doing D&D content and doing lots of work during the crazy time of year. Not much else going on. Um, a lot of community stuff, though. I mean, the Blackest Friday stuff has been has been really cool this year. There's been a lot of participation, especially for ours. But we'll talk about that in a bit. That's that's it. That's what I've been up to. Um, punt return. Punt return. Nathan. Um, what's that lateral toss called? Is it just called a lateral? I think it's just called a lateral. Lateral, Nate. You just got lateraled? Is that like a sucker punch, but to the side? Literally. I don't think any lateral. of us watch sports. <laughs> so I think we're all like, <laughs> people are like screaming at their we're like trying to make sports first down. <laughs> yeah, we're like making sports references and puns, and we're terrible at it. Yeah, we stole it's, it's stole third hands. and got a touchdown. It's just hanging by a thread ball. at this point. So. <laughs> <laughs> If, if Nate tries it, yeah, we're we're going to be totally out of uh, sports stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to answer Nathan's question, what have I been up to? Other than removing snow and moving stuff for weeks on end, it feels like at this point. Uh, Vase and JP and I got a chance to play a little promotional scenario for the upcoming Children of Fear campaign for Call of Cthulhu, which was pretty fun. That was cool. Yeah, it was very short. It was only like a couple of hours, just with two investigators. But I like the um, I liked where the campaign seemed to be going. Kind of basic, no spoiler overview of of the scenario. The investigators are sent to. Uh, Scion, China, after uh, a archaeology professor is 
uh, reported missing from the Cave of a Thousand Buddhas. So they're they're sent to Sion to like prepare a caravan to go out to the cave and investigate. And while they're while they're in Sion, some strange uh, strange stuff goes on, and they find that random objects have been uh, been stolen. Like not not important objects, but just weird personal sentimental objects. Yeah, it's um, it's really really cool. I like that it didn't didn't go the horror route. At least this teaser scenario, it's more like a interesting kind of mystery. Uh, the the pre made investigators were really cool. I liked they all have like interesting backstories and um, the setting is really cool. Just. Overall, I'm excited to see what they come out with with this uh, Asia campaign. Mm. Yeah, kind of, to me, it felt almost like a Scooby-Doo story a little bit. Yeah, it was more lighthearted, not as uh, bone-crushingly like <laughs> um, horrific as, as Call of Cthulhu can be. It was more like, I mean, there were there was some dangerous things, but I, I agree it was more like uh, PG in a way, I guess. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way to put it. And then to kind of go into spoiler territory, the it turns out that the uh, little uh, I forget what they call them exactly. I think they're like Quetzalmen or something. They're basically little like terracotta statues that are uh, put into the burial tombs of the dead to like protect them. And somebody's like robbing the the graves of the tomb in town, and they. Uh, the little statues come to life and try to replace the objects that were stolen. So the investigators eventually like wind wind up like at one of the tombs and they they discover that that's what's going on. Yeah, and there there was one scene that had a lot of tension uh, since we're in spoiler territory, where they all start coming to they all start getting animated and there's hundreds of them, and we thought we were in serious trouble, <laughs> um, but we figured out real quick how to how to end that from happening, but. That was a really tense moment. I like that that scene a lot. Yeah, it's like the right before the commercial break type of yep. type of scene right there. Um, and then what was? Didn't we play? We, we played Observer Effect. I felt like we played another game. Maybe that was just me, but uh, no, we've done reviews. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we did. We did a review, and I have yet to finish editing it, but that will be done at some point over the break. Uh, and I think other than that, I think that's really been it. I did play a game of Arkham last night. I, I played Amanda through Pits of Despair, and that game ended very anticlimactically, unfortunately. I was, it started off pretty good. I was trying out this, like, Eldritch Sophist slash, uh, cryptographic cipher deck, where you use Sophist to, like, put a bunch of extra charges onto the cipher, and it was just a little too slow. Um, I wasn't able to, like, get it get it going fast enough. Uh, a turn one enemy really didn't help either. So I had to like spend a whole turn just dealing with that. And then trying to, trying to get back up and running was a little too much for Amanda. Um, so I don't know if Amanda's a good candidate for that style of deck, but it was, it was fun. The game ended very anticlimactically. I was, as I was saying earlier, I was, um, I was at like five sanity and I had a dreams of really a, in my threat area and then drew another one off the top of the deck and just kind of died. <laughs> it was like, okay. Womp womp. And you, you were doing just pure solo oh, or two-handed? Uh, pure solo. You've also been doing some streaming with uh, with your wife. I have, yeah. Yeah, Hannah's been a... 
on OnlyFans. <laughs> oh wait, no, no, it's on a Twitch channel. Yeah, 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 on Twitch, on Twitch. Yeah, yeah. We played uh, Alien Isolation for a bit uh, last week, as of the recording of this episode, and then I played a game of Arkham, like I was saying, yeah, and then she popped on stream for a bit both times, and it was a good time. We're definitely going to continue that Alien Isolation playthrough because that holy shit, that game's great. <laughs> it's it's cool, yeah. It's tense. First time, the first time I saw the Xenomorph and it like pops up around the corner, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my fucking god! Made made the scream. It was hilarious. And <laughs> everyone on chat was like, "Yep, that's the scream that really it made eight out of ten satisfactory." Yep, it made <laughs> Hannah really attracted to you. <laughs> that's what hooked her. <laughs> oh my goodness. But, um, yeah, man, that was, it was a really, it was like, I'm like still thinking about that game. It was like kind of disappointing. Like, I don't know if it's this campaign in particular, but I feel like a lot of my games recently have just kind of had that like sorts of endings where there's just nothing you can do and you just like die halfway through the scenario through new fault of your own. I think I think with Insmith particularly, it's just because so many of the enemies and the cards just like deal damage and deal horror, just like in big chunks. Like a lot of the enemies have like on engage, deal damage, deal horror. Oh, like and free without any kind of yeah, without any testing. Mm. And a lot of the treachery cards also are like, uh, you know, test willpower three. If you fail, take take two horror or take two damage, which can be rough too. And that's like Amanda's biggest weakness I've noticed too is Mythos phase. Unlike a lot of other Seekers that seem to do fairly well, Amanda seems to struggle a bit in that regard. I've heard this, I haven't really, I only played one episode or one scenario in this campaign so far, but I heard it's really enemy heavy too, so that's... Yeah, the first scenario feels to be, I've only played the first two as well. I have I uh, still need to catch up on Innsmouth as well. I really enjoy the first two scenarios, so... Um, have you guys all played Pits of Despair yet? Nope. No. I have not either. <clears throat> it is definitely difficult. First couple of runs I did of it, I, I somehow managed to dodge a lot of enemies. It just, like, got a lot of flood effects and was able to just grab a bunch of keys and get out. But then, over playing it several times... I managed to, like, see a bunch of runs where I would just draw an enemy early on, and uh, the map is so small in the early stages of that scenario that it can be really tough to evade them. Mm. And since they have on-engage effects, evading them is not really a wise idea either, so... So the anti-engage campaign, it seems? Mm, mm. Or the anti-evade campaign. Sorry. Yeah, I guess I guess so. That would be be a fair assessment all right we've everybody in the audience has been waiting to hear what nathan's been up to not much not much we just got our our first cat uh his name is onyx and he's kind of a cat dog because he fetches and rolls over uh and does all kinds of stuff that dogs typically do um but it's been fun every night he knocks something over so i come down to find random things where they shouldn't be. I'm like, yeah, okay, fair enough. I'm waiting for the tree to go, but, um, you know, I'm not holding my breath. Um, I also just got a couple new board games that are really popular. I got Dune Imperium and the Ruins of Arnak. Both of those, if anyone is into the board gaming world, are worker placement um, deck building games, and they're really popular. Mm. But I've also decked out my um, 
tainted grail with an insert out of uh oh man eastern europe i want to say e-raptor is the company and then i got an insert for cthulhu death may die um where was that one out of that one's go seven gaming um I have to get, I have to kind of keep my board game collection semi-contained, kind of like the blob. You can only try to contain it for a little bit, but you can't stop it. Um, so what I tend to focus on is extra blinging out a lot of games that I like, because that way I don't have to make my game collection larger. I can just make it better. But I did get those last couple games that I mentioned. Uh, still been enjoying Lord of the Rings Journeys into Middle-Earth a lot, which has caused me to kind of backslide into Mansions of Madness. Uh, I kind of skipped over Mansions of Madness to go straight to Arkham Horror, the card game, all the time. So, thus the delay. And then I also got Fire Team Zero, which is a great cooperative game with a hell of a lot of boxes. Uh, in addition to that, work has been, like Vase said, crazy. They're tapping me to work today. So I'm working a day off. Um, so with all the holiday shopping and, and lots of people around, um, I haven't been able to unwind or unrelax. Un so I'm just kind of coiled up in a, a knotted ball of stress. And I can't relax today because I'm working a long shift as soon as we're done recording here. But everybody is healthy and happy in the family. And uh, I pine for the days where I can play Arkham Horror again. Um, I haven't done too much playing, but I did print off uh, a couple new fan-made scenarios on Arkham Central, one of which being the uh, Tyler Gotch um, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which I'm excited to play. And uh, the other one is like a horror one based on the reanimator, so... But that keeps me up to date with having printed off every single fan-made scenario on ArkhamCentral.com. Now I just need time to play them and relax. But um, the last thing I want to mention is that I'm looking forward to playing the festival. I know that Vase has played. I'm not sure about uh, Man From Lang or Nate. But it is a holiday um, scenario where you go back to your home hometown of Kingsport and uh, the train gets stopped in the snow. And so you have to walk uh, the last little bit to your village. And of course, all hell's breaking loose. But uh, I play that usually on Christmas morning before people oh, nice. wake up. Yeah, I was actually going to play it a uh, Christmas Eve on stream. Because it's on, yeah, it's on the TTS mod. There you go. So that was my plan. I didn't know Still you had a, a, a Christmas routine of playing that scenario. That's cool. Yeah, fun stuff. Most people have. Yeah, a movie he mentioned it. It was in one of our early episodes. I remember you mentioning that you uh, that you played that, Nathan. Yeah, but no I one pays you... attention to him. So how are we? Whoa! Gonna <laughs> Whoa! Base. I got some trivia for you later, uh, specifically dying. <laughs> oh, I'm prepared. You, so. No googling yeah. this time. Oh, you'll have fun googling. <laughs> Is that a threat? If so, that's a really weird threat. It, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, but like Nathan said, I, I feel like all of us have just been so busy with with work and with the weather and with uh, with COVID and everything else that we kind of would just take this episode to just look back and reflect on on the year as a whole and try to wrap uh, wrap the year up in a nice little bow. And 
maybe from there we could talk about what we uh what we're looking forward to in 2021 and what we hope to see both from Arkham and from other games that we enjoy playing and go from there. So like I was saying before we started recording, the, we started the year off uh, having a conversation with MJ Newman, of lead designer of Arkham Horror, the card game, which was a great conversation, which I'd highly recommend you, uh, if you haven't already, to go and check out. And then let's see. So from there, we, we had some... We had the wrap-up of the Dream Eaters campaign, which unfortunately didn't actually end up wrapping up until June, considering everything that went on with COVID and whatnot. Um, Man from Lang, you're still trekking your way through the Dream Eaters. Uh, Vase, you've played through it, though. I have played through it, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I didn't care for it as much as other campaigns. It's near the bottom for me. You know, it's... I think thematically it just didn't work as well as I thought, you know, as I expected for the Dream Eaters. But some scenarios were okay, but I think a lot of them were trying to do too much. Um, (laughs) I was shocked at one of them uh, where I I had played for a while and then all of a sudden it was one of those where you take everything down and set a new map back up. And I was like, no way, come on. (laughs) I mean, I think we can get into spoiler territory for this campaign for the most part i'm assuming you're talking about search for Kadath. well that was another one that got me that way um but it wasn't that one actually it was the um oh um the one uh horror something horror uh thousand shapes of thousand horror? shapes of horror yeah believe it or not because it was like the house right you got the house and then you go under the house i did not expect the under the house thing because it took me forever and I thought I was doing real well. I was using skids, the parallel skids. And I was doing awesome. And then the new, you tore everything down, go under the house. And then there's one location where if there's a ghoul, you can't advance to the next location. You can't reveal the, the next location you can move to. And parallel skids has no way to kill if you if you do the both alternate front and back of the card. He has very few ways to kill enemies. You're mostly depending on evading. So Mythos Face comes, and I pull a ghoul, and then another hunter ghoul comes. So now I got three ghouls on me and three actions. So there's just no way for me to, to advance further. So Skids was devoured by ghouls <laughs> under the house. But it was a cool way to go narratively, but it was frustrating because I had no way to deal with it. I could have moved... You know, let it engage me and moved and taken an attack of opportunity and then evaded it. But there weren't enough actions to get that done without dying. So it was it was tough because that one location felt unfair, you know. But anyway, so the, the rest of the campaign, I think it has some decent scenarios. I think the first two scenarios are, are good. And there were a couple that I liked. The one uh, with the webs where you're below uh, in the caverns and this creatures chasing you the the burrowing creature that i kind of like that one but the rest i didn't really care for as much i've enjoyed it so i've enjoyed it so far i i mean i think the first two scenarios are are good i like waking nightmare more than uh than the other one i think search for good is kind of it's long and labor intensive 
but I've enjoyed the other ones so far. I've, Waking Nightmare is the, the first one, the hospital, the, right? The spiders, yeah. That's the one that I felt really put the horror in Arkham Horror, and that's what I tell customers when I talk about that, that box set. I'm just like, this one really kind of gets under your skin, and I think MJ channeled some inner fear on that one, which he admitted to, so... Yeah, no, definitely a good one. I think I still think that that's one of the best scenarios in the game, personally. Yeah, I liked I liked the first two for sure. I like I like Waking Nightmare quite a bit. I think if I had one complaint, it's just that, uh, and it's probably just because I, you know, played some of the scenarios and then took a big break. Was just trying to coordinate the two campaigns and figure out how campaign A affects campaign B and vice versa. And just making sure I had the right number of tokens in the chaos bag. I just um, think narratively, the, the wall of text really were off-putting to me. So you'll have a really long scenario, like Search for Kadath, and also like a wall of text to read before, and then interludes, and then, you know, the epilogue. And I think on other campaigns, they did really well with narrating a story with just using the mechanics. So you didn't have these long explanations or wall text which you know for certain things i don't mind it but then i feel like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger yeah i have that criticism of beyond the gates of sleep uh, particularly at the end of that scenario so so like the basic story right is like you you're going down the the thousand steps or whatever and you you meet the two priests and then they they tell you to go into the enchanted forest and you walk around in the forest and then you you find your way to the enchanted path but then at the end there's like this page and a half where you're going through the enchanted woods and you have this encounter with the zoogs and the black cat and i i like wished that that was part of the actual scenario itself like i don't feel like that that would have been too much work you know what I mean? And it's like like that's one of the more important narrative choices that you make. So it just seemed kind of strange to like have it be kind of reduced to like reading the text box and choosing team A or team B. So Yeah, I think given that the way that scenario was constructed, I feel like the uh I always find like I like the end of that scenario, but I find the beginning kind of just because you're not drawing encounter cards or anything, it's kind of like, why am I doing this part? It just seems perfunctory when, you know, the meat of the scenario is once you get down the stairs. Right, it's kind of like the prologue in TCU in that regard. Yeah, if they had, if maybe if they had just clipped the stairs part and you started in the Enchanted Wood and then added that, added the cat zoog thing at the end, that might have been... I mean, while while it, it is accurate thematically, I'm, I'm not too sure it works from a narrative standpoint in the game. Because it's just like, okay, I move, I grab a clue, I move. You know, you might take a little bit of damage here or there, but it's it's just sort of like, can we just cut to the chase? and Right, yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel about the beginning of that scenario, too. I didn't mind the beginning as much, um, except... It's weird. It's weird, but uh, I didn't. I didn't mind it uh, the first time around. I'm sure if I play it again, probably is where I'll be like, okay, I've done this one before already. Let's get to the main part of the scenario. But it's it's like where's what's one scenario that's like that? That um, there's another scenario in the game, not not in uh, Dream Eaters, but I can't think of it. 
that's kind of like that. Like you play it once and it's really cool, but then afterwards it's like the, you know, the trick <laughs> or, you know, the, the narrative element that doesn't need to be repeated. Oh, the, the prologue for a TCU is, did you already that's mention what I was that? Just, I was just saying oh, that. Sorry. I got this. <laughs> what was the one, what was the one where there was like a house and you were trapped and you were all going to die? But you weren't playing your regular investigators. You were doing like... <laughs> you bastards. All Hold right. on. Hear me out. Hear me out. Oh, wasn't that in the Circle Undone? The I think prologue. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. I I got distracted. I was looking at some of the entries from the from the Blackest Friday, so I got distracted. Should we launch into that? I mean, it seems Not, like a good enough segue. No, no. We're going through the year. Keep going. So tell us about the entries for the uh, Blackest Friday. Because <laughs> at least two great old ones went with that they're near our lethotep. Come on. Um, so so we did a Blackest Friday. It's a community event that we do every year. Uh, the, the content creators for Arkham Heart, the card game. And everyone kind of makes their own contest uh, that's holiday themed. And the community just kind of gets together. It's just to highlight creativity in the community and kind of bring everybody together for the end of the year. So it's, it's always a lot of fun to see the entries. Um, we had some really interesting ones. We asked people to design a holiday card and people, uh, we weren't clear, I guess. So people thought we were talking about make a Arkham holiday card when we meant like a holiday greeting card. (laughs) So we decided to just let it be both. Why not both? And, Porque no los dos, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With my terrible American Spanish. It's actually your pronunciation is not bad. <laughs> not bad at all. But uh, yeah, we had some really good ones. I like the. There's one that was an Arkham card called Dreidel, Dreidel, Dreidel. Uh, with three charges after you reveal a non autofill token, you spend a charge and you ignore the chaos token, and then you reveal another. And then if you get certain ones, you get like bonuses, like you can gain a resource if you gain, if you draw an elder sign or there's some negative things. So that's pretty cool. It, it does invoke like a spinning dreidel. Uh, Sub-Zero Joe made, <laughs> made uh, different images with us in them, which were hilarious. Uh, I was My face was put on Father Mateo. Nathan was put on the Guardians of the Abyss cover. So he was called Guardian of the Games. <laughs> and then Cameron... Cameramicon is uh, Harvey Walters in the library, and he's thinking to himself about nine Tesla's damage at the next player window. <laughs> <laughs> and then Nate, your uh, sister Mary, for some weird reason, holding a an autofill token, <laughs> and it's baby sister Nate pulling the autofills. <laughs> so that was that was really well done. Um, but our winner. It made a grandma got run over by a reindeer, um, which was super, super awesome. That one was super funny. He made a whole story. So it says, do you ever get so mad at the holidays that you want to yell at your relatives? This card's for you because it happens to Patrice too. The difference is that she has magical ability. And when she channels her rage into playing grandma got run over by a reindeer on her violin, sometimes if her grandma, Madame LeBranche, is close enough, the song just might accidentally become reality. Of course, Rudolph then feels obligated to help you out because of the awful thing he just did. He doesn't know you manifested him and his actions, so he'll happily give you a ride, help you with various tasks, and use some of Santa's magic to help you get various kinds of presents. 
After all, it's the least he can do. But all helplessness has its limits, and if Rudolph runs out of stamina or sanity, he takes it as a near miss and heads on back to the North Pole. But your grandma's still dead. If your grandma isn't close enough to the moment, you can still channel your rage to help you with another task or spend an action to get another chance to kill grandma before your deck cycles. So it's a 5 XP event with three wild icons. The image is hilarious. It's grandma on ice with blood all over, and there's <laughs> there's like reindeer tracks. reindeer tracks. At first, I thought it was like reindeer poop like falling on her. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, what's... Not only did he kill her, but he pooped on her, but it's reindeer tracks. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's <laughs> it's hilarious. It's only a Patrice Hathaway card. And after you draw, Granny got run over by a reindeer. If you control Madame LeBranche, find each Madame LeBranche copy, even if they're out of play, and remove them from the game. Then search your bonded cards for Rudolph. And then Rudolph is another card. Blood on his hooves. <laughs> and uh, he has a bunch of free abilities, like you can move to a connecting location, plus two skill value for a test, that kind of stuff. So... And he's three health and three sanity. Really interesting. Oh, but he also has the trait grandma killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so really nice, well thought out backstory and two really well designed cards. Um, we had a lot of awesome entries. <laughs> a very simple one that I really liked was the, um, there was one that was a Christmas card to Daisy Walker from the research librarian. It just says, Merry Christmas. And when exactly are you returning my book? Signed, the research librarian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so some really, really good entries. I know that some of the other content creators, I just watched uh, JP, Northern Lights Over Arkham's video, and he had some fun ones. Mythos Busters did a whole stream with Matt Newman, which is awesome. (laughs) That Matt Newman got involved in the the Blackest Friday uh, festivities. And they they had a meme contest, so that was a lot of fun. So lots of cool stuff for Blackest Friday. And congratulations to the winner. That And it was cool to see the community reach out and have all those entries. Uh, so thank you to every single person that entered the contest. And remember, if you didn't win anything this time, you can write to Carol for in the botanist uh, at gmail.com and Vase might uh, guiltily send you something. Yes. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, we had so many entries. We had like over 50 entries, which is fantastic. That's more than, than I've ever seen. on. And on- 51 of those were JP. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you're curious too, you can always check out all of the entries. Vase was nice enough to post them all in a particular channel in our Discord server. So if you're not part of our Discord server already, you can uh, find the link on our website to join and check out all the awesome entries and Hang out with us in the Discord server along with many other of our fellow content creators and friends of the game in general. In addition to that, uh, the innkeeper at the Twisted Tentacle Inn, Mr. Vase, um, also supplied a lot of Blackest Friday um, support prizes out there. So thank you again for your generosity, Vase. Um, And I have a current one going up on Facebook if you haven't seen it yet, <clears throat> it's the uh, War of the Outer Gods scenario and a pack of markers for locations from uh, Daydream Gaming there with Daniel uh, off of Etsy. So if 
feel free to enter that puppy as well. We'll have a link in the show notes for anyone that's curious. I'll see if I can have Nate do a link in the. Sorry. Nate, why don't you put a link on the show notes? <laughs> is it does that disappearance at the Twilight Lodge? Is that where the link is? <laughs> you bastards! I'm never gonna live this down. <laughs> yeah, it's like the prologue, right? <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> is there a prologue for that one? You know, it was weird. I was trying to find it the other day, and I just couldn't find it. It disappeared on me. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so what else happened this year? Uh, we had an awesome thing set up by the Mythos Busters called Farkham Con. Oh, man, that was so much fun. That was cool. Yeah, because um, Arkham, was it Arkham Knights that couldn't go? Or Gen Con? It was Gen, Gen Con. Con, yep. So Gen Con wasn't happening. So the Mythos Busters said, you know what? Screw it. Everybody wants to play Arkham. We've all been locked in our houses for three months. So they put something together, which was amazing. A bunch of content creators got together and put out different panels, and it was unique stuff for this convention, like unique panels and unique games or unique scenarios. Specifically, JP had the COVID mask. It was the pallid mask, but COVID style, which was awesome. You couldn't, you had to keep social distancing with your fellow investigators. That was cool. Everyone was uh, had the weakness hypochondria in their deck. There was a lot of little neat things about that scenario. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, Matastrophic had his Carnival of Spiders, which was like a, a reiteration of uh, Weaver of the Cosmos and uh, Carnival of Horrors, which was really cool. Uh, yeah, we we did a TFA Pulp Cthulhu game. Uh, Man from Ling, you did a curtain call or a Call of Cthulhu game based on Curtain Call as well. That is true. Those were fun. I, I hope you guys do something like that again, where you where you run a Arkham Horror characters game, but for Call of Cthulhu, that's I really enjoyed both those games. And uh, there was a lots of lots of other things too. There was a few interviews. I know uh, the Mythos Busters had an interview with MJ and Man from Lane. You had an interview with Richard Lee Byers, the author of a f- couple of the novellas. Yeah, that was a that was a good interview with uh, with Richard. Yeah, I think the Farkham Con was a was a really big highlight for for Arkham Horror stuff this year. It was, I think, the peak of the year for Arkham <laughs> was uh, Farkham Con. It was so many people got together. Um, you know, you could see the community kind of jumping from one content creator stuff to another. It was everyone was interacting it was it was great it was really really cool especially after being locked up for so long uh with the rona stuff that it was something the community really really desperately needed and the the utter lack of content during that time i think also kind of had people boiling over for more stuff because we had no new product come out for months and stuff was delayed they had announced a few things but stuff was delayed and so I think it was just a a perfect uh, aligning of the stars for, for Farkham Con to happen. Yeah, so huge shout out to all the guys from the Mythos Busters who put that all together and all the individual content creators that hosted events and made content for it. It was really, that was really quite special. You can, if you happen to miss any of those events you can check them out on various youtube channels Uh, i know they're scattered around the youtube sphere uh, between mythos busters channels our channels uh, uh any of the other content creators but i think they're all 
They were all cataloged on the Farcom website. Is that correct, Vase? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was yeah. going to interject. <laughs> Objection. But yes, they, they, they kept the website up, which was also another... Man, they, 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 their accomplishment on this thing was incredible. In short notice, they got so much stuff done, and it all came together in such an awesome way. They set up a Discord server, the website, but... The FarcomCon website, you can Google it, I, or we can put it in the show notes. But uh, that was another great way to have everything together in one place. And So you, so the content won't disappear? It, it shouldn't. As far as I know, they're keeping the website up with all the stuff in there. So you could relive the moments. <laughs> oh, and we had, our, we had our Q&A live episode. <laughs> God! Oh my God! The jabs—they never stop. They never stop. <laughs> we do. We did do a Q and A, which was also. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it was just, It was so subtle. It was. Oh my God! It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Q and A. That was a lot of fun. Which you can also catch uh, anywhere you listen to podcast. Uh, we did release it in audio form, but if you are curious enough to watch the video form, that's live on our YouTube channel. Um, and then they tried to do an Arkham Knights event, but I think everyone was just a little too burnt out from hosting Farkham to really be able to contribute. I think I think it was just a scheduling thing for for uh, Arkham Knights, but but we did participate in the TCU Iron Man. Which had some really fun moments. Yeah, that one. Despite, I think, I think our overall, uh, not disenjoyment. What's what's the word I'm looking for? I guess apathetic attitude. Oh, you're right. Disenjoyment. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's just it's not our favorite campaign, but we we managed to have quite a bit of fun over the course of 13 hours. I loved it. It was fun. It was the best time I've had on TCU. <laughs> was playing with you guys yeah um the farcom nights was something else that mythos busters uh initially they wanted it to be like farcom con but um i think people were burned out and also uh because they were doing the iron man a lot of people were anticipating being tired so eventually it evolved to just being kind of a iron man thing for the weekend uh yeah i mean i think that's really about it as far as big events and stuff like that goes um we we had a couple of rpg sessions vase we we did some uh reviews for delta green and we played observer effect yeah which has been which are uh, episodes that we're kind of slowly releasing into the feed as well but releases um in may they started doing the parallel investigators and they started with daisy so we saw the release of Reader Die in the beginning of May. And then we saw Dexter the following month. So I think Dexter was one of the more highly anticipated novellas. Highly anticipated investigators, period. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, that, that seemed to be the consensus that I got from the community. So I don't know about you guys. Um, but I feel he was overshadowed when his actual card was released. Like the novella was popular but then he was released in in the insmith campaign and we don't hear too much about dexter and insmith yeah i often forget that he's in insmith but it's like silas makes so much sense and then you're like oh yeah they dexter's in this set too i forgot about that 
I think another issue with that, too, is that Dexter's replacement cards were already pretty good. Yeah. You know, it's like with Carolyn, like her her replacement cards weren't very exciting. Mm-hmm. So when she was released in TCU, it was like, oh, cool. Hypnotic therapy is like really cool. And rational thought is interesting. But with Dexter, it was like Molly is already a really cool card and his weakness was fairly tame. So he was like already interesting enough. And his his ability doesn't really necessitate like a specific card pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the overall, I, I think that, and then of course we had uh, Gloria released um, was it a couple like last month, and uh, so a lot of love for the Mystics this year. Uh, unfortunately, I find like I, I haven't, I don't think I've played the real Gloria yet. I just sort of did my. A playthrough based on uh, based on what I thought she might be, but uh, I'm not too sure she's the type of mystic that I'll enjoy playing. I think I, while I like a little bit of encounter deck control, I think going all in on it is uh, may not be as interesting. Yeah, there isn't also a lot of support for that style of deck right now either. Mm-hmm. I, I think, like aside from Alyssa Graham and scroll of secrets so there isn't really much to facilitate that deck so i think the as far as investigators go i think the the parallel investigators and then the investigator starter decks were some of the more were some of the most interesting stuff that was released this year i really like the i like what they've been doing with the parallel investigators and and i hope that they will consider actually printing them at some point because um while it's nice that they're print and play I don't think a lot they'll they'll ever really gain a lot of traction until they're an actual physical product that people can pick up. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Um, the starter decks are very, very powerful and very interesting, and they're also a great way for for newer people to get like a, a decent collection of player cards so that they can slowly play through the campaigns without having to like pick up specific cards for a particular deck. And I, I agree with you, man, from Lang. I, th- I would hope that they would eventually print, at the very least, the player cards of the Parallel Investigators and the Investigators themselves. Um, yeah. The, the scenarios, I think, would be tricky just because they're usually based on a pre-existing scenario. Yeah. So it, it might be difficult, but you might... I know, I think it was you, Nathan, right? You had mentioned doing like a kind of return to style box with the parallel investigators. So maybe something like that could work. Sure, let's do it. Yeah, because I think there's, there. I mean, the parallel investigators they've made so far have been, um, have really explored some new deck, deck designs with the particularly um, uh, Skids and Agnes with their 25 um, lowering their, starter deck initially down to 25 and then allowing them to take multiple copies of of upgrades or i guess upgrading and keeping the level zero version in your deck i think is an interesting mechanic and then it's you know giving them you know different cards to build with uh, and uh, new special abilities creates uh, some interesting designs I just find that because they're print and play, I often forget about them. And then uh, uh, 
don't sort of revisit them after I've played the their scenario once, and I'd like to, you know, maybe experiment more to see where what you can do. Yeah, I, I do the same thing, Man from Lang. I like because it's not in my deck box. I'm like, oh yeah, these exist, and then I, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll check the scenario out, and then I do the same thing. I'll play the new investigator, and then I just completely forget that they exist. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. They're really, really interesting, and it's a great way to... Um, I could see them potentially, once they have all five of the original core set investigators done, maybe they do like a a rehashing of the core set. I could see something like that potentially happening too, which would be cool. Oh, that would be uh, cool. Where you like have like a parallel core set or something like that, where you release the new parallel investigators and some of their player cards and maybe additional copies of of the core set cards. Yeah. And then include like all the encounter cards from the new scenarios. Yeah, I'd be up for that. I'd be up for that too. That would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah, I remembered it was like a year and a half ago when I'd been talking with a lot of people about how with the rate we were going through investigators, it would make sense if we had like dark investigators. They were, they were touched by trauma or dealing with um, things they'd seen and, and things they'd had to fight. And so I said, you know, different stat lines and different abilities to reflect that. And then six months or eight months after that, then they came out with the first ones. And I was like, yeah, like that. But I don't know how many they're going to actually end up doing that way, but it's kind of a, a cool route to go. So did they steal your idea then? No. I mean, <laughs> it's a it's a simple idea that's been touched on with other stuff. Well, maybe we can... maybe. Maybe they're listening to the community and they're taking notes. I mean, they, they do listen. Maybe, uh, but I was told they don't listen to us. So <laughs> just, <laughs> Damn. just putting that out there. Just, uh, uh, yeah, so not only did we get print and play scenarios and investigators, but we got a ton of standalone scenarios this year as well. There was, I think this was the most out of any year, because usually we... There's usually, like, one standalone release, and it's usually at the end of the year. Uh, like, starting all the way back in 2016, there was Curse of the Rougarou and Carnival. And then, end of 2017, there w- wasn't really much. I think it was... Uh, it, I'm checking here. It was the torture one, wasn't it? Yep, Labs. Labs of Lunacy. And then... Yeah, end of the year 2018 was Guardians of the Abyss, and then end of the year 2019 was... Kind of blob, uh, kind of. No, no, that was this year. And then then this year we had Blob, we had Barkham, and we had War of the Outer Gods. Hmm. And War of the Outer Gods seemed to kind of, like, come out of nowhere. Yeah, it was... it was weird when they announced it. No one was expecting it. Like, it's cool. Like, I, I haven't had a chance to, like, even open it and look through it yet, but I really like the idea of War of the Outer Gods. Uh, what do you guys think about the standalones? Have you played any of them? Well, it has a cult following. Ha Because it deals with uh, three different cults. I, I tend not to play a lot of the standalones all that often. Again, I almost forget they're, they exist sometimes. <laughs> But uh, but I've enjoyed the ones that I've played. 
You know, I will I'm say... I'm looking forward to War of the Outer Gods, but again, my my copy is somewhere somewhere, somewhere in the world something. currently being shipped around I think from the one nice place thing, to another. Yeah, true. And I'm sorry about that again. That stinks. Uh, I do think that the standalones have a special place in the world of Arkham Horror, the card game, because there's so many packs that are getting reprinted all the time and with COVID shipping and supplies being weird like they are. I've been able to say, hey, here's the core box, which we can get. Here's one of the deluxes, which it it's always random what I have in. We, we got a lot of the Dunwich. We have Dream Eaters. We have Forgotten Age. But I haven't seen Circle Undone. We've run out of Innsmouth and haven't had uh, Pat to Carcosa for a while. Uh, nor the Dream No, we do have Dream Eaters. So because we don't even have all the packs for those cycles... People are like, well, what should I do? I'm like, well, you can't go wrong with the deluxe box because you'll get more investigators, more ways to play, a couple adventures. But here's this cool standalone that you can also do, like Rougarou, Carnival, uh, uh, Murder at the Excelsior, are just other ways to play while you're biding your time literally for months or longer on getting a full cycle. So they have been helpful in that regard. I tend to really enjoy a lot of the standalones. Um, usually just because of the way I, I play, I like to wait usually until like a good chunk of a campaign is out. And then I like to play through like three, like half of it in a single session by myself to kind of get the story, you know, mm. uh, for me, it's like, it's hard to, to play them as they're released. Cause I kind of forget the little nuances of the story from month to month because just life and stuff happens. So the standalones are great because they, they actually have like a decent, a decent enough premise to them. And they're usually very mechanically sound and, um, they're always, they're always new encounter cards. So you, you know, when you play them for the first time, you know, you're going to experience something entirely new, which is fun. And since they're standalone, I tend to just, build a deck and then play and go about my business. So, Yeah, I like the standalones a lot. Uh, I'm glad that they've come out with more. And I think they're branching into two separate types, like the multiplayer ones and then the ones that you play on your own. Because the multiplayer ones you can play on your own, but they tend to play quite a bit differently, especially like Labyrinths of Lunacy, I think. Um, you know, it's... Yeah, Labs particularly is one I wouldn't play without a group without three groups yeah. just because of the way that that scenario like intends to like convey information to the, to the groups. Yep. I think would be really lost in a, a single player game. Uh, I kind I agree with you there, but I think blob is actually pretty good as a solo. Blob, yeah. I, I like it as a solo, but the, the online experience or the multiplayer experience, the massive multiplayer experience is so awesome for blob. <laughs> Mm. that you know it's a different experience i mean i guess it's good for both it's it's amazing that they made it good for both i guess um because i think labyrinths doesn't you know doesn't work in the same way um but yeah blob there's so much more interaction with different things i i really enjoyed the multiplayer but it, you're right the, the just playing it on your own is still pretty good um but i like that they're coming out with more standalones i think if they continue coming out with investigator packs then 
having more standalones makes sense because they don't have to keep releasing mythos packs and be on the schedule and then be out of inventory like sell stand make a bunch more standalones people can play a standalone buy an investigator pack and buy a standalone and be able to play you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. i like the idea of having a bunch of options for standalone uh where you're not tied to spending so much for a whole cycle to get the full story and you know all the cards player cards or whatever like you can buy your investigator deck play your standalone um or buy a couple of standalones and still enjoy that you know so yeah I, I, and and who's who's to say that the investigator starter decks you know if they make more of them that they have to release all five factions at once again they could release oh a new kind of like they do with the novellas you know oh we got a new mystic out you know this month or whatever like, I think that'd be cool to do, too. Yeah, that could be interesting. I, I Kind of going on your point about, um, like, just experiencing the whole story of a standalone, I think another good uh, aspect of the standalones, too, is that you can cover uh, you can cover certain stories that might not be long enough to, like, warrant their own campaign, but are, like, really cool uh, stories that you'd want to make into a scenario right and something like guardians of the abyss where it's two scenarios cool you know like who's to say a standalone has to be one scenario could be two or three you know kind of like the starter set yeah i think three would be challenging just because i don't think you'd have enough cards in the in the pack itself to facilitate that but yeah guardians of the abyss is a great example because i think a lot of people often play those two scenarios as like a mini campaign yeah yeah or a new product, the mini campaign, where people have talked about that, you know, especially since Dream Eaters kind of did that, but release a mini campaign box set that you don't have to buy Mythos packs afterwards. You just, it's all contained in one place. But instead of player cards, it's just the campaign, you know? Yeah, that would be cool. Um, and then as far as other releases, I'm looking through Hall of Arkham right now, which is a great resource, uh, for Arkham Horror LCG players, if you are not aware of this website. Uh, it's got all sorts of great resources between card images, promotional materials, um, other resources, whether it's like custom investigators or, uh, links to blogs and PDF documents, uh, the guy that runs this website does a really nice job of cataloging everything. So just wanted to quickly shout it out while I'm here looking through his website, looking at the release schedule here. Um, I guess the other, yeah, the other big thing was the starter decks, which I think at first I was a little contentious of, cause I think the power level of some of the player cards is a little wonky. And I think FFG clearly recognized that with the most recent taboo list. That's a lie. The cards are perfectly balanced. Necronomicon is perfect. Just the way it is. <laughs> okay, nine damage in a one action. No, 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 no. It's not Necronomicon that's the problem. It's knowledge is power that's the problem. I said when. Wait, right? wasn't wasn't that first shown in that uh, Circle Undone prologue? Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to remember oh where I saw that one first. Yep, that's Roosh. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah, that uh, knowledge is power. I said it when it first came out. I said that card is awesome, but I don't think it's broken. I think Necronomicon is broken, man from Lang, uh, Manfred Lang. <laughs> <laughs> 
every time you say that, he just puts a little extra arsenic in the envelope to send you. I'm just telling you right now. Yeah, Cameron seems like the type that would just, uh, he'd just be like, okay, it's okay. I, I know where you yep. live, Ace. <laughs> So. <laughs> he doesn't answer. He just okay. hold on. Hold on. Why would you poke fun at someone who you literally let stay with you for the Arkham Horror beneath the waves? That seems you, there's no way you'll figure out where I live because you've been there several times. I didn't poke fun. Your customer poked fun. Okay. First of all, my customer's amazing. Okay, you don't rip on the customer. <laughs> I'm just telling it like it is. Anyways, but yeah, so I forgot what we were talking about. We were talking about the starter decks. That was that was a thing. Uh, my favorite's Jacqueline, clearly. Me too. I love canceling auto fails. Please, thank you. I need it in more in my life. I've fallen in love with Mystics, which is crazy. They were my falling least falling in love with Mystics. They were my least favorite faction when the game first came out and look at it now I think now for me Mystic is just a very solid solo class I think now because there's some they have so many good ways of both dealing with enemies and dealing or uh, and getting clues that it just seems like a very uh easy choice or not easy choice but it seems like a very reasonable choice for solo players to kind of gravitate towards mystics for the for those reasons and they have high willpower naturally so it allows them to kind of be a little less uh a little or a little more lenient in their um like mythos defense like in willpower icons and stuff like that yeah i think because we play Solo, almost all of us play solo nearly exclusively, except for Nathan. Um, I think at first when Mystics came out, they were not the best solo class. They were pretty much the worst solo class. And now it's funny how that's evolved into into being at least up there. It's very, very viable in solo. Ooh, so quick question for you guys. Uh, who do you? Th- what class do you think is the worst solo class so far? Neutral. Malastrophic's going to come after you. <laughs> it's true. It's okay. We, we can play Arkham. Um, worst, you said what's the worst solo class? Mm. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think is the worst class for solo? They're all fairly viable. Um, but I think... Hmm. Believe it or not, I think Seeker now. Really? Hmm. hmm. Seeker's overpowered in group in group play, but I think that it's been proven with some games um, that I've played and I've watched you play a few Seekers that even though they have ways to deal with enemies, those ways to deal with enemies work better in a group setting. But for them in a, in a solo setting, they're kind of they're very limited still in how they can deal with them. And once you're, you're trapped by an enemy, it, it's game over if you don't have a way to deal with it. So, yeah, I think Seekers probably have the, the worst for solo play. Hmm. That's what interesting. Do you think? Uh, I'm going to lateral my response to Man from Lang for now because I'm curious to see what he thinks. Yellow card. Well, I would disagree that Seekers are 
are weak in solo. I think they're they're pretty good. Um, I think you know way back when they didn't have enough tools to to really deal with enemies, but now they have a lot. Um, they've got quite a few that they can use. They're maybe a little bit vulnerable in the first scenario, but after that, once they gain a few experience points, they can. Uh, they do pretty well. If I had to choose one that I, I sort of that I think is weaker in solo, I'd probably say rogue only because of their low willpower. And while they have a lot of tools to deal with that in multiplayer, where they can pass off those willpower skill tests to people, you don't have that option in solo, and so you often have to build your deck in such a way to you're either going to deal with that or you're going to just ignore it and i think you have to deal with it it's not something you can simply ignore because one frozen in fear will just wreck you but i think all of the i think all of the uh all of the classes now have uh have the tools to 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 do quite well in solo but I find rogues just because of their low willpower can be trickier. Yeah, I was actually going to say rogue too for for similar reasons. Um, I think another reason is that a lot of the rogue cards kind of rely on you over succeeding to really get a lot of good benefit out of them. And in solo, sometimes you just don't have the resources necessary to be able to to achieve those things. So a lot of the rogue cards can kind of feel lackluster. Like, like luggy cigarette case, or um, or like quick thinking, or double or nothing. Like those rogue cards that are like really, really good in multiplayer can feel very lackluster because you only have so many resources to be able to pump into them. Um, and then, yeah, like you were saying, man from Lang, I've had so many games where I've played as Winifred or I've played as Skids, and I draw Frozen in fear, and then the game is just over. Um, I think unlike Seekers. Um, you know, rogues, rogues just don't have the tools necessary to be able to deal with it efficiently. So they usually have to dip into their off class. And um, I, I think it really just kind of dilutes the power of rogue decks until they get some experience points. Yeah, I think at the beginning, uh, rogues can be, I mean, they've got some great cards once they gain some experience. I think the, the thing about the whole succeed by two um, or the over succeeding is is that it when it works it works well but then as soon as it breaks down you're in big trouble um, just because a lot of the take lucky cigarette case I mean as well as long as you're succeeding by two you're drawing the cards in order to continue to succeed by two but once you fail a few tests you don't draw those cards and then you can't succeed by two anymore and you're sort of stuck. And I find that the game, like as long as it's going well, things are good. But as soon as you start to, if you fail a couple key skill tests, then it can be difficult to dig yourself out of that hole. Yeah. Yeah. The games get really snowbally one way or the mm. other with rogues. And usually in solo, like that lack of consistency is what usually ends campaigns or end scenarios yeah. so. but we all agree universally survivors are the best for solo play right um hmm. 
I don't know. There are undead crickets in the background. So, Vase, it's been fun having you be one of the great old ones uh, <laughs> for the first 20 episodes. Yeah. Um, we really appreciate it. So, good luck. Thanks. You don't think you don't think survivors are? I I don't know. I mean, I I think mystics are definitely better in solo than they used to be, but I still think survivors just keep getting better and better cards that help them. It's admittedly it's been a while since I've played Survivor. I mean, I think I think survivors are I mean, they're a very very good solo class and uh I would I would probably put them close to the top. Because they, I mean, even when they're failing, they're succeeding. So it's, you know, it's, and they, they typically have pretty good ways of both investigating and fighting. And that's probably where the one, another one of the weaknesses of the rogue class, at least initially, because they don't have, they don't have super, super reliable ways of fighting. And then they don't have super reliable ways of investigating either until you get something like lockpicks. And so it can be a little bit uh, swingy that way as well. Whereas survivors, they can basically just hit the table running and it's like, okay, I investigate. Oh, I failed. I still get two clues anyway because I have, look what I found. Yeah, but the same, you made the same argument about Seekers though. That it, the first scenario, they, you said they weren't bad in solo because like after the first scenario, they have experience to get other stuff. That's the same thing that you just mentioned about rogues. Lola, Coca-Cola, and uh, lockpicks. Once they get XP, they get those two. They they can pick up clues like nobody's business. You say Coca-Cola? Lola, Coca-Cola. Who paid you? <laughs> Who paid you? Yeah, but I, I think there's a difference between... I think there's a difference there when... Because because seekers are, are fantastic at investigating. They can often just outrace a scenario before enemies become an issue whereas rogues because invest because rogues tend toward the being um prioritizing evasion they are not good at fighting or investigating so you're you have to build um you have to sort of dip into the two major pools rather than just one mm. So if you're playing a guardian, it's like, okay, I'm really good at fighting. So I've got that, that leg of the game um, handled. So I just need to put enough investigation in my deck. And once I've got that, I can handle just about everything. Seekers, it's the opposite. Okay, I'm really good at investigating. If I can just get enough tools to either fight or evade enemies, I'm good. I find with rogues, it's like, Okay, I'm not good at fighting or or investigating, so now I have to deal with both of those. Or rely on my and then or alternatively go deep into one of those, either fighting or investigating, and then rely on um evasion to sort of pull yourself through. And I don't think that evasion is uh, at least in solo, it's not as good simply because eventually you'll have to deal with the enemy anyway. And so you have that potential to be like, okay, I'm going to evade. Things are going well. Oh, now I have to evade. Like like when with skids, right, under the house, it's like you had those ghouls sitting around and you were able to evade them while you had one and then you had two and then all of a sudden you're wasting your entire turn 
trying to evade. And if you don't have one of those cards that lets you evade all enemies with one action, you simply don't have the action economy in order to uh, to succeed. That's um, that's actually really well explained as to the difference between the two. Um, I. And then I think with like mystics again, they're they're sort of they can either go they're good at fighting and investigating once they have shriveling and say any of the the investigation tools and seek and survivors of the same way. Hmm. I think it's just because rogues sort of lean more towards playing an evasion style game that they are like Lola don't get me wrong like Lola and and Delilah and all those cards are fantastic but if you're if you've got to to get good at fight at fighting and investigating um that's a little bit harder to and then there and then you know you're picking up cards like Lucky Cigarette Case and uh uh if you're gaining the upgrades for those those aren't really helping you with fighting or investigating. They they give you stuff if you're good at those things, but they don't necessarily help you do it. They don't give you bonuses and stuff like that. Yeah, and then the other issue that rogues have is that they have to also play cards that kind of fuel their whole engine too. So it's like they're they're playing on the back foot the entire time just to like get the things that they need to get done. Uh, to kind of go back to the original question, I actually think now that Mystic is one of the better solo classes just because of the amount of reliable options that you have to investigate and uh, fight enemies between decent spell events and assets yeah. and the fact that you already kind of have a natural uh, defense against the mythos with your high willpower. I think that that, you know, I think really can... It just it covers all your bases at a reasonable level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I I would agree with Vase that they've gotten a lot better, but I I think that they are still like and this happened to me um, just in last night's when I was playing Dark Side of the Moon. I still find that that Mystics, um, depending on how the game swings. Like you need cards, you need to get your enablers out to either investigate or fight. And if the game, if you get investigate out and the game throws fight at you, you can, your game can end really quickly. Oh, certainly, and, certainly. And vice versa. If you need to investigate, say, if you're playing the secret name or something like that, and then the the deck throws fight at you you're like okay well i guess i'm gonna sit here and do nothing until i draw something to help me investigate and um if you don't get that right if you don't get that right combination then you're but that's kind of the case with guardians and seekers too though right well, like seekers have their their investigate pretty much out the gate without the need for any cards so I- but that's what i mean is like if you like if you're playing a seeker though and you draw a bunch of enemies early on in the game you're screwed unless you like happen to have your your ways of dealing with enemies yeah, but you can pack more enemy dealing cards because you're already in solo you can rely on your base intellect more or less with one skill card for assistance whereas a mystic can't do that you know and mystic needs the well, enabler I, plus I think a skill card. some mystics can like i think I think Akachi could reasonably play like an enchanted blade or something like that and make use of it. Um, 
You know, I think I think Jacqueline could play a flashlight, yeah. or Mateo could play a flashlight and make. I use think of in it. theory it sounds that way, but I think in practice, like from my experience playing Mystics, it definitely can still be. They've gotten way better, but I think their man from Lang is right that there are still games where you'll have to start over because you didn't get the cards you needed, and it's game over right there and then. I don't know. I whereas a, a seeker, I'm going to change my vote. I. I I'm, I don't want to say Seeker's the worst anymore. I, I got convinced by Man From Lang that it's Rogue. <laughs> and, and so that's my worst now is Rogue. But No, don't get me wrong, Nate. I mean, I, I think that Mystics have gotten a lot better. And because they have cards now like Spectral Razor and Read the Signs and, and whatnot, they, are, More they have those tools to fill in. So you don't necessarily need, okay, it like... Back in the core set, it was like shriveling or bust, right? Mm-hmm. That was all you had. So if you didn't draw shriveling, you were you were dead. And same goes for like right of seeking. If you didn't draw right of seeking or a flashlight, you were dead. And now they have so many more tools to work with that they that you're not necessarily like at the beginning of the game. You can sort of um, keep going if as long as you're drawing a couple of those tools you can sort of keep going until you get your main your main uh tool down but like this is what happened to me playing luke through dark side of the moon you know i had i had an early right of seeking but no combat and then the only reason i survived i think was because i happened to be in the dream gate when i drew two enemies so they didn't spawn if i hadn't been in the dream gate I would have been overwhelmed because I didn't see a shriveling until a couple turns later. And then because right of seeking has so few charges, I had basically used up those charges. And then I had really, I was sort of relying on Luke's investigate his natural intellect, which is better than most mystics. I will give him that, but still a lot of those locations are high shroud locations. So you're, so you're making a, you're taking a lot of tests at bad odds, and then, but then as soon as I got six cents down, like the game was. But they're also very expensive. Way way easier. <laughs> it's right, like right, okay, right. now I'm but just like, gonna cruise. Yeah, I, I agree with your point. Like I'm not trying. I'm not discrediting it. I guess what I'm saying is that like other classes also have that issue. I don't think it's an issue with the class. I think it's well, I think it's more of an issue of card draw than it is an issue with with their ability to do things competently, right? Mm-hmm. Like, does that yeah, make sense? I, I just, I think it comes down to how, how many of the, like if there are three legs to the game, if you've got fight, investigate and evade, how many do you have to do? How many do you have to have before you can, before you can operate? And I think in the case of guardians and seekers, it's one. They just need to either get intellect or they need to get fight rogues need to get both i think mystics need to get both um and then survivors can go they have enough cards to go either way but i think that mystics at least have good tools whereas rogues yeah rogues i just don't don't necessarily have have as good that's gonna be some emails right there yeah i agree though i've said from the beginning rogues are definitely the worst of them I mean, I'd be I'd be curious to see what listeners think, though. So if you please have any thoughts, we should, yeah, really, please do. I'd be really curious to see what you guys think. What is the worst solo class? 
I, mean, um, I think you. I mean, you can win with any class. It's it's not well, a more like what's you, the hardest. But you do? have to build your deck in a certain way to to yeah. really. What's the hardest one to build for solo? I think it boils down to this question, this one question: Which of these is the best investigator? Gavrella Mizra, Jerome Davids, Penny White, or Valentino Rivas? <laughs> oh God! Oh God! This is never going to end. Um, are we doing trivia, Nathan? Uh, no, I mean, going back to that comment, I think those were all good points. When it comes to, to when I do do solo, I just try to focus on, like Man From Ling said, I try to focus in on the things that I'm missing and compensate, you know, and just have fun with it. Um, <clears throat> I do have a little bit of stuff. I don't have official trivia. I want to point out two quick things for Community Spotlight, and I want to do some questions but these won't take too long. First of all, I want to give a shout out to uh, LCG Tokens uh, on Etsy. They just hit the bestseller status. Um, so major achievement for them. I want to give them props. Uh, as you remember, they were also one of the people that donated. They donated t-shirts and tokens to the uh, Arkham Horror Beneath the Waves 2019, along with lots of other great people by the same token, Needle and Threadly, Momo Monster Co., etc. Um in addition, I wanted to also give a shout out to um, Drac at Drax Tokens. He went live with his vampirecreations.com. Uh, and he's always done, as Man from Lang knows this too, he's always done a lot of Lord of the Rings uh, tokens. But he's uh, <clears throat> also branched into Arkham Horror and made Pathways, etc. So make sure you check his stuff out as well. But. A few questions I have for y'all in the spirit of kind of not having a ramped up uh, segment. I have a few kind of open-ended questions for trivia. For example, what art is the most bizarre art in the core game? Go. In the core set? Correct. What still doesn't sit right with you because it is weird? Uh, as far as card art goes, you know, Vicious Blow has never really sat well with me. Mm. I don't know why. The art for Vicious Blow? Yeah. I think... Like, I, I just don't understand how the guy got into the circumstance where he got behind a Night Gaunt. And then, like, he clearly, like, he has some issues, right? You know, you don't just, like, go up to a Nikon and just throw an axe to the back of its head like that. That seems okay. a little rude. Okay. Anybody else have an um, answer for this very methodical question? I think Unexpected Courage, because the, the kid, it's a kid, you know, and he's already bloody. That means he's killed several dinosaurs that are after him. Yeah, what is that dinosaur thing in that well, art? Clearly, the the art was taken from Jurassic Park because the kid's running from the. Uh, it, it looks like a Velociraptor to me. <laughs> <laughs> I I forget what which card it is in the Call of Cthulhu CCG or the LCG that that card is from, but that art it does appear on another card, and I don't think it was a very good card either. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of my least favorite pieces of art in the 
in the core set. It's now my favorite. <laughs> um, the correct answer just because was... Of, just um, because of the dinosaur. Yeah, baseball bat. The zombie uh, housewife with her hair and curls um, was the correct answer for that. Oh. Okay, next. Um, what exactly is in the wound for the first aid picture? Go. Oh my God, it's like worms. Maggots? Or, yeah, maggots or like... I thought it was entrails. Ground beef? Maybe they put some... Ground beef is the correct answer. Yeah. Point base. <laughs> um, has anyone actually ever beat the devourer below from the core box? Go. Yes. yes. Once. Several Once. times. Uh, I can't remember. I just keep on pushing redheads at it. Um, which investigator Who won that in the answer? Arkham Universe would have the... I am talking. What was the answer? Which investigator would have the best sense of humor? Go. The urchin, clearly. Wendy. Hmm. Wendy would have Yes, because how could life get any worse? sense of humor. What is she, like Oliver Twist? (laughs) It's like she's rock bottom, so it's like everything else moving on from there is going to be happy moments. I think it would probably be Ashcan Pete. You know, I was thinking. I, both. I was thinking Harvey Walters because he'd have all those dad jokes. <laughs> yeah, but he's too busy yelling at people to get off his lawn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, get off my book! <laughs> okay. I don't know why he sounds like he's from like the Midwest. He's like a farmer on a dairy farm for eighty-six years. Anyway, um. I I personally think it would be uh, William York, the grave digger, because uh, he can dish it uh, as well as take it. Well, he rides monster trucks, so that's already cool. No, grave but digger. I liked all the answers; they were all good. Everybody gets a point. Uh, who would <clears throat> who would win in a fight? Cthulhu, Nyarlathotep, Hastur, Dagon, Yig, or Atlas Nacha? Um, not Yig. Mm, part of me wants to say Narlathotep because he's a agent of Azathoth, but yeah, I was gonna say Narlathotep. Um, it's between him and Hester for me. I don't know. Like Haster is like psychological, right? So yeah, he just plays. I don't mind know games. how Haster would. Yeah, I don't know how Haster would do against other deities that may or may not. Uh, if it'll help you, the fight takes place in a pool. Oh, and Cthulhu <laughs> for sure. Well, it's Cthulhu Dagon toss up. I would have given you other one. No, okay. no, it's not even a. It, that's not a toss up. It's Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah, Cthulhu. Dagon is just like a play. Dagon ain't got shit on Cthulhu. Wow. Like hate. Okay, last one here. Uh, if someone were to get into the Arkham Horror LCG, should they buy all the other uh, FFG games with the Arkham IP? No, definitely not necessary. Uh, and why is the answer yes? <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend if you like Arkham Files games, get Eldritch. And if you can find 2nd Edition, get 2nd Edition. But if not, third edition's fine too. Bold words, vase. I think also the answer is no. Um, and man from Lang. I would say 
I enjoy Mansions of Madness and Eldritch. Uh, the one I did not enjoy was Elder Sign. Yeah, I also didn't care for Final Hour. I have not played that one, but I've I saw I saw it and it. Uh, I remember when they it was released at Arkham Knights a couple years ago, and I watched some guys play it, and uh, it seemed like the Arkham theme was uh, very thin. Yes, yep, that is a good way of putting it. It had been uh, some some lacquer had been put over a uh, a different game. I would say a uh, a very thin coat. Yeah, um, that's too bad. My issue with Final Hours, it's one is the theming seems very meh. Uh, it seems more like a zombie game than it does a an Arkham Files game to me. Um, like the whole premise of it is that like cultists have, you know, done a ritual to summon an ancient one, and you have to like stop the hordes of monsters from overtaking Miskatonic University. Like that feels more like a zombie game to me mm. than a Cthulhu game. So it's like Star Wars Monopoly, but Arkham version, where, where it's just uh, like it's not really a Star Wars game, to, but it's, it's just like well, it's got like barricades and you know like obstacles on the board for players to like maneuver around and you have uh you have what are called priority cards so you you have to like play a card face down and you can't talk to anyone else and each card like has a a specific number so like depending on what number is revealed like that's the order of actions it's weird yeah i'd forgotten that was even a game (laughs) yeah I only I only remember it's a game because it's still sitting on my shelf, probably never to be played ever again on the wall of shame. Sadly enough, um, other games I saw that they had finally made an update to the Mansions of Madness video game. I don't know if anyone else saw that, but they I guess they did like some rebranding on it and actually gave it a release date. Oh, did anyone yeah, else the, see the that announcement for it? Yeah, yeah, I saw mm-hmm. that. that- it looks like it's going to be cool. I, I'm excited for it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Stygian, like that uh, party-based, uh, top-down, kind of isometric RPG style. It looks interesting. Yeah, but with Arkham characters. I'm not going to hold my breath, because probably going to take another 80 million years for them to finally release it. But uh, Let's wrap up the episode, though, with uh, what we're looking forward to in 2021. Uh, I'm looking forward to the end of Insmith. I like the campaign so far and I like the story a lot. Um, I was kind of skeptical cause shadow over Insmith isn't like one of my favorite stories, but I'm really curious to see, uh, how the story, uh, wraps up. Cause I like, I like the beginning so far. What about you guys? I'm excited to see where they take it next. And so definitely excited for that. Excited to see what new products because they're they've been experimenting with new products this year. So I think with the virus happening, I think they maybe had more time to sit down the development team and actually come up with new ideas that I guarantee you are probably in the works right now. So I'm very excited to see what new things they come out with for Arkham Heart of the Card Game. Yeah, I would say I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing what uh, what new products they 
they come up with. I haven't uh, yet dipped my toe into the Innsmouth conspiracy yet, but I'm looking forward to that. I think it will be. Uh, uh, I do like the setting a lot, so that will that should be a good, uh, a good campaign. Uh, the scenarios in the in the deluxe expansions are usually very solid, so. Uh, I am looking forward to to playing those and then seeing uh, seeing what else. I mean, I don't think anybody at the beginning of this year could have predicted that we would have seen um, parallel investigators and investigator starter decks. So um, who knows what we're going to uh, see. I mean, we'll also probably this year uh, we'll see the uh, return to the circle undone and maybe return to dream eaters maybe late in the year that'd be interesting i don't know it'd be it'd be tight i think it, like circle on, return to the circle on dun would have to come out pretty early which i would sort of expect them to release that between or slightly before the next cycle and uh and i'm not too sure where the next cycle will go because i mean we've had um, I think everybody was sort of expecting Innsmouth at some point. And uh, so now that we've got that, it's... Uh, Monsumens. I'm not too sure. I mean, everybody. I, I've heard a lot of talk about Antarctica being a popular choice um, so far uh, at the Mountains of Madness style campaign. Um, but other than that, I don't really have a... I don't really have a... Uh, I mean, maybe what they could do is maybe like Innsmouth peels off into uh, into like a Cthulhu-based one, like in, in the yeah, South Pacific they, um, or something like that. They did show Dagon in the most recent uh, Mythos pack preview. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that they would show show Dagon in, what is that, pack six? So usually yeah. there's... Slumbering Dagon, though. Yeah, because I know they did something similar with uh, the Lord of the Rings LCG, where they had one uh, one deluxe expansion or, and then one bunch of packs sort of lead into the next bunch of packs. And we haven't seen that yet in this game. They've all been very separate. So uh, maybe you go from Innsmouth and then maybe a South Pacific campaign. Who knows? What about you, Nathan? What are you looking forward to? Oh, so much. Um Barkham Horror, uh, Barkwitch Legacy, uh, Barkwitch Legacy. Looking forward to that. Uh, I don't know if it's official yet. Uh, I don't know if it'll ever come out. Um, and I do know that uh, MJ Newman wants to hit uh, Mountains of Madness at some point. I think that he said before that was one of his favorites. So the Arctic and Ithaca uh, seems eminent. But um, I hope they do more with the desert. Because there was, you know, beneath the pyramids and stuff, I think they've got some more room to move after the fan-made uh, Guardians of the Abyss or what have you. And then, uh, like, uh, getting into the Cthulhu territory would be nice, like Man from Lang said. I also think it'd be interesting if they did something with The Mound. Um, I don't know if you've read that short story. By Lovecraft. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, personally. I think the only other thing I'm looking forward to is I think I'm going to be receiving a copy of Masks of Nyarlathotep, so maybe next year will 
be the start of a wonderful Ooh. new horrific campaign of masks of Narlithotep. That's awesome. Well, guys, is there anything we want to uh, to say before we wrap up the last episode of the year? Happy holidays. Bye-bye, 2020. Uh, yeah, I would just wish everybody a happy new year and uh, stay safe out there. Things seem to be getting better, but uh, I think... Uh, as the vaccine rolls out, but uh, we've still got a, a little ways to go before everybody is 100% safe. So keep up the good work. Well, all right, everyone. That was episode 20 of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I was your host, Nate, and all, and I was joined with, as always... I am the man from Lang, host of the Whisper and Darkness YouTube channel. I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And Nathan disconnected. <laughs> <Fitting>. <laughs> He's like, you can't wait Classic. to get done in 2020. I'm out. He just got so fed up with you, base that he just couldn't. He went. To- he disappeared. You kept sending That's him what happened. Father he Mateo just disappeared right at the end of the night. <laughs> he disappeared into the estate. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it comes full circle. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Well. um... Thank you.